tree, a tree in which our Savior hung on, a cross. But not just any old cross, a cross on a hill called Golgotha 2,000 years ago, where he hung and he bled. We've read the scriptures so far this night, and we'll read them again for sure. Uh, So Susie, you want to go to the section? I'm going to be reading out of two different gospel places, so so bear with me here. Uh, But we'll first read out of John 19. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with two others on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had noticed and prepared uh, and fastened. Pilate had had a notice, sorry, prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, "Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews." Mary, uh, or many of the Jews, sorry, read this sign. Uh, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near to the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The, th- the chief priest went with G- uh, went, w- Gosh, sorry, I need better glasses. Was written, uh, chief priest of the Jews protested to the Pilate, do not write king of the Jews, but write that the man claimed to be king of the Jews. Next, there we go. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into uh, shares, uh, one for each of them, With the undergarment remaining, this garment was seamless, woven in one place from top to bottom. Let us not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened to fulfill the scripture that might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of uh, Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. To the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. The death of Jesus, later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation. The next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because of the Jewish leaders did not want their bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have their legs broken and their bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and, those of the, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs and said one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you may believe. These things happen so the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on uh, the one they have pierced. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for your written word, for scripture, God. We thank you for this narrative, this story that was written thousands of years ago, but it still prevails today. God, we pray, God, that you would enlighten us, that you would bring your word to life to us. And God, give me 
uh, liberty, Holy Spirit, to preach your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Like I said, at the center of Christianity and further at the center of Good Friday, we find what do we find? We find a Galilean Jew who was completely innocent, who did nothing but open blind eyes, who did nothing but set free the oppressed, who did nothing but open deaf ears, who did nothing but raise the dead. We see this same Galilean Jew brought before the Roman official Pilate and charged as guilty. The innocent charged as guilty. This is the paradox of Good Friday. Why on earth do we call it Good Friday? Because if you ask me, there's nothing good about this. If you ask me, there's nothing good about this innocent man hanging on a tree. If you ask me, there's nothing good about this innocent man, but one thing and one thing only. That on that cross, that, see the cross is seen as a focal point around which every ounce of our Christian faith lies. We can't get this wrong, my friends. At the beginning of time to the end of time, there is one thing in the center and one thing only, and that is the cross. That should be the center of your life, the center of my life, the center of our shared faith together. The cross of Jesus Christ. But why? Why? Because the power of sin was shattered. The power of sin was broken. The power of sin was thrown into a million pieces when Jesus Christ died on that cross. The power of sin over your life, the power of sin over my life is completely destroyed. We know that sin brings about destruction, chaos, separation from God, disease, and death. Every part of the human existence that we look at as negative, every part of the human existence that is seen as evil, uh, every part of the human existence that is suffering is brought about by the power of sin. But Jesus comes and on the cross, he bears the sin of the world and he destroys it. He breaks it into a million pieces, never to be seen again. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Come on. That sin, that power of sin that's over all of us, every single one of us, is washed away, gone away. The power of sin is broken on the cross. How do I know this? Because we believe that the cross is essential for salvation, redemption, healing, and resurrection. Those things are all the opposite of everything I just listed before, right? That sin brings. Sin brings the opposite of God's will, but on the cross we see Jesus instating God's will. We see Jesus bringing about uh, salvation, redemption, healing, uh, and reconciliation to God. Curse of sin shattered on Good Friday. The curse of sin has no power over you has no power over me. You might say, well, Walker, I'm still living in life with disease. I'm still living in life where there's a lot of chaos going on in my life. There's still suffering all around. Let me tell you one thing. In this life, sin is allowed to speak. But because of the cross, it does not have the final word. Its power is broken over your life and my life. And now we are free, my friends. We are free. Jesus bears the power of sin, the weight of sin of the world on his shoulders. And we no longer live under that curse. Jesus puts it to shame. He puts it to shame. He breaks it. We no longer live under the curse of sin. You are free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed, right? We're free. We no longer have the curse of sin over us. But I want to dive into this a little bit further. I'm not just going to leave you here. How is the power of sin broken? How? I'm, I'm a questioner. I want to know how specifically 
is the curse of sin broken? I want to give you two examples from Scripture that I think are really going to help us. The first one um, is not any Scripture I had uh, given to Susie because it's just short. But, But I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's out of Luke, the 23rd chapter. Jesus... As we know, Luke tells the very similar story, the same story exactly. And he says that Jesus was led to Golgotha uh, and that, that he was led to be crucified. But one detail that Luke puts in there is actually really, really important. Actually, maybe one of the most important details of the whole gospel narrative. And it's this, Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. The power of sin over humans has led humans, humanity, to do many atrocious things. Many of them. The Holocaust, slavery, need I go on, right? Her- terrible things. But maybe at the top of that list is the greatest crime in all of humanity, and that is deicide. The moment where God walked among us and we killed him. The moment where the word was made flesh and we hung him on a tree. So what happens when God walks among us and we put him on a tree, how does God respond to this heinous human crime? How does God respond when we commit this atrocious sin against them? How does God respond when we hang his Messiah on a tree? He forgives. He forgives. How is the power of sin broken over your life and my life? How is the cross the focal point of Christianity? How is the cross the the, the place of salvation, redemption, healing, etc.? We see that on the cross, God looks and he sees sin everywhere. He sees the sin of the world. He sees the sin of these people in front of him. And they are sinning against them. And what does he do when this sin is being born on him, when he's bearing the the, the sin of the world? What does he do? He absorbs it and recycles it into loving forgiveness. This is where the, 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 the ugliness of human sin meets the beauty of God. This is the true definition of mercy. Mercy is, is not just, oh, you know, you did something wrong and so I should hurt you, but I'm not going to. The biblical definition of mercy is to provide healing from the inside out. God goes right in, becomes one of us. And as we sin against him, as we pour the sin of the world upon him, what does he do? He shows us his forgiveness. He pours it out. There's a place where streams of grace flow deep and wide. There's a place where my heart has peace with God and forgiveness. That's the cross. The cross at the feet of Jesus as he's being nailed there to a tree. His response is an unleashing of the Father's love. Is an unleashing of the Father's love towards us. He forgives them. What we see on the cross is that Jesus takes upon himself the sin of the world. And although he's innocent, he absorbs it and then recycles it into forgiveness. God shows us his forgiveness on the cross through Christ. This is the message of the cross. God, for whatever reason, takes blame for something that he never did. Paul teaches us that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God made a deal with God before creation began. 
that he would consent himself into the hands of evil men. He would turn himself over to them, be crucified by them, and forgive them anyways. And this is where we find our salvation. This is where we find our redemption. This is where we find our healing. We think, you know, we look at these Roman guards. We think, man, evil guys, right? But the same spirit that controls them is the same spirit that has controlled us. The same spirit that controls all of us. It's the sin in our life. But what does he do in the curse of sin? Breaks it, snaps it in half, gets rid of it never to be remembered again. The second place I want to look uh, for to, to give maybe another example of how Jesus breaks the curse of sin is, is in John 19, the scripture that we read. Susie, if you could go back to, um, I think it's one of the middle verses there. It's, uh, I'll let you know. Keep going. Keep going. I should know the, I should know the number of the verse, but I don't. Keep going. There it is. Verse 29. And I'll say this real fast. I can't take credit for this uh, insight. This is something that we actually, we actually uh, read in small group uh, several months ago. A jar of wine vinegar was there, sour vinegar. So they soaked it, a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of a hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his last and gave up his spirit. Now, this might be a part of the scripture that you've read for several years. You've probably read it and heard it read to you. And it doesn't really mean anything to you whenever you read it from the outside. But I think that if we dive in deep to this section of scripture that I just read, about some wine, about a plant, and about Jesus drinking it, we'll find deep truth about how God has redeemed us. You see, my friends, in this tiny section of Scripture, what we see is that Jesus is drinking sour wine. He's not drinking any good wine. He's not drinking the fine wine. He's not drinking the good wine. He's drinking the sour wine, wine that would be left off to the side. Jesus is drinking it and taking it in. It, it, this is not really a good drink to have. You know, this is not like your, your Mountain Dew or your sweet tea or whatever you like, right? This is sour wine bitter to the taste. Then it's on a, a hyssop plant, a, a plant that none of you probably are, are uh, botanists, except for maybe Sally might know what a hyssop plant is. But a hyssop plant is, is a plant that is used, if you're Old Testament scholar, you'll know, for the sprinkling and the ritual sacrifices. It's the plant of purification. It's not just any old plant, not just grabbing this off of a random tree, but the plant of purification. You see, what we have here, friends, is a beautiful word picture of the plant of purification taking what is sour, what is nasty, what is no good, what is left off to the side, and Jesus ingests it. Jesus takes it in. He drinks that cup. He drinks that wine. If you remember, Jesus says in the, in the garden, Lord, let this cup of suffering be passed from me, Right? This is the cup that Jesus is drinking, metaphorically, but literally. In this moment, he drinks from the sour wine. He drinks from the sour wine from the hyssop plant. Now, what does this mean, anything? If you haven't figured out the metaphor, it's this. That sour wine, that's your sin. 
That's my sin. That's our sin. That's the sin of the world. Jesus takes it. He drinks it into himself. He says, he says, bring it on. He bears that sin of the world. What is it brought by? It's brought by the plant of purification. And in the moment that Jesus is taking in the sour wine, he's pouring out the new wine. The blood from his side. The blood from his side. The blood from his side where we find forgiveness, where we find that the love of God runs red. Think of it. Think of it. God takes your sin, my sin, takes it upon himself. He drinks of it. Not a cup that he ever wanted, but a cup that he takes in our place. He drinks that cup. And what's he do? He says, take, drink, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. My blood, which be poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. There's a reason we do communion every single week at this church. Because the body and the blood of Christ prevails. The body and the blood of Christ is important. The body and the blood of Christ is what broke the curse of sin for us. At this time, I want to transition into uh, a, a time of communion. I know that this is not a home run hitter, hoorah for Jesus sermon, right? This is sombering stuff. But this is, like I said, this is a time of reflection. Easter's coming. But we're reflecting on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. He broke the curse of sin. He broke it by taking in our sin, absorbing it into forgiveness and pouring out the new wine that is his blood for us. At this time, as, as Crystal uh, plays on the piano, I want to take a few moments, and I know we've been in, in reflection, we've been in prayer, we've been in time of worship, uh, but we're in a fast-paced society. I don't know if we ever get enough relaxed reflection time, right? Let's take a moment, close our eyes, bow our heads, and just reflect on the word. Reflect on Jesus' uh, passion towards us.